Well, today we're wrapping up our strapped series. We're talking about distractions. Does anybody ever get distracted? Distracted. Well, it's pretty easy to get distracted, isn't it? You're kind of, maybe you're at the office, you're working, and you're kind of getting in the zone, and then all of a sudden you get pulled into an unexpected meeting. Or you're trying to hit a tight deadline, but you accidentally check your email, and you get sucked into the world of email. <laughs> uh, sometimes I get distracted by watching cat videos. Anybody? Any cat video people? That's a great way to waste a lot of time. You know, you're, you're in the zone, you're focused. I gotta watch a cat video. Cat videos. Well, it's easy to get distracted. Guys, maybe your wife's trying to tell you about her day and you're thinking about, how are the Broncos gonna do next season? You know? <laughs> Everywhere we turn, there's so many ways to be distracted. We can be distracted when we drive. We can be distracted in our families. We can be distracted raising kids. We can be distracted in our work. We can also be distracted in our spiritual lives. Um, many, many years ago, the prophet Haggai began to prophesy. He began to teach the people about what it means to be distracted. And today I want to talk about how we can overcome a, a sidetracked life. Because everywhere we turn, um, there are constantly things that are vying for our attention. And for us to be focused and for us to accomplish the purposes and, and the things that God really has for us, um, we have to learn to put aside the things that sidetracked us and the things that distract us from the purposes and the callings of God. Would you open your Bibles and your devices to the book of Haggai chapter 1? Um, and Haggai is one of the weird books in the Old Testament. It's like at the very end. And if you get to Malachi, you've gone too far. I think it's between Zephaniah and Zechariah, if I remember correctly. Um, please don't correct me after service if I'm wrong. But um, it's, it's in there somewhere, okay? It's like, go to Matthew and take a left and just keep going, okay? It's two chapters. It's what we call a minor prophet. It's not minor because it's less significant. It's minor just because it's kind of brief. It's kind of short. Um, <laughs> but the book of Haggai <clears throat> was written... Um, many, many years ago um, to, to a distracted audience, a group of people. In 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Solomon's temple uh, in the city of Jerusalem. And shortly uh, thereafter, the people of Jerusalem were carried off into captivity um, to the Babylonian Empire. Uh, they were exiled. And uh, many, many years later, King Cyrus takes over um, uh, from the Persian Empire, and he allows the Jews to go back to their promised land, back to the city of Jerusalem. And, and he even um, gives them the money to, to rebuild the temple. Can I get a witness today? Amen. You know, this is like, whoa, all of a sudden, we were dragged away from our homeland. Now, the king is saying, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, guys. And so a remnant of people goes back to the homeland, to the motherland. They, they've been exiled for these years, and now they're back. And something's interesting, because the first returnees make a preliminary attempt to rebuild the temple. Um, and it's been, it's been destroyed for many, many years, and the ruins have, have laid there, you know, um, all around the city of Jerusalem, 
And the Samaritan neighbors offer to even help the Jews, and the Jews refuse their help, and then the Samaritans turn against them, and they threaten the workers, and they send people back to Persia to lobby against the building of the temple. All that to say, 16 to 18 years has gone by, and nobody has rebuilt the temple. And this is what God had instructed the people to do. You're to go back to the homeland. You're to rebuild the temple. Jeremiah had prophesied it. And the people just kind of got comfortable and kind of got cozy, doing their own thing, going their own direction. And they forgot about the significance of this great house of worship and, and the role that it played in their culture and in their spiritual life. You, you could say the people were sidetracked. And I want us to look at three questions today that help us to avoid a sidetracked life. <clears throat> and the first one is kind of not what you think when you think about a sidetracked life. It's kind of probably something that you would not think very much about. But it is absolutely critical to this passage and to really understanding the life that God has for us to live a life that is spiritually on track with what God wants us to do and accomplish and so the first question that we got to ask ourselves is, what am I doing to build the house of God? What am I doing to build the house of God? Now look at this in verse uh, 2, uh, ver chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord of armies says this, these people say, the time has not come for the house of the Lord <clears throat> to be rebuilt. Did you get that not? It is not time, the people say. But God had already told them, it is time. It was God's time, it wasn't their time. How many of you know that sometimes our time and God's time are not always on the same schedule? God wanted the house of worship to be built first, not last. And, and, and so the people are, they're, they're procrastinating. The temple was in ruin and... And it had been there for almost 20 years in ruin. But the longer you put something off, the easier it is to keep putting it off, isn't it? And so day after day after day, the people would walk by and they would say, Oh, yeah, that's the temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I got to get back to my family. Yeah, okay. And people just got used to seeing the ruins. It just, it just became like, you know, like, okay. Uh, before it was disturbing. Now, in Jewish worship, the temple was everything. In fact, the presence of God dwelled in the Holy of Holies, that one particular place of the temple. And, and so the spiritual life of these individuals revolved almost entirely around the temple worship. So if the temple is decimated, if the temple is in ruin, then the worship that the Israelites had practiced for all these years could not take place. So it was a big deal. So people have become very calloused and very, uh, very, you know, very unconcerned with, with what's going on. And they valued their personal comfort more than God's divine fulfillment. And, uh, you know, today in the 21st century, um, the house of God is still a very significant, important place. Um, the spirit of God does not reside in a place today. He lives in the hearts of people. But the church is about all of us collectively joining together to worship God and to encourage each other and to bless each other. And God has still called us to be about building his house. 
We're still called to build this house. We build this house through serving, through having ministry in the church. We build his house by, by giving. And that's why we've been involved in our 90-day tithe challenge where many people have been stepping up and just saying, hey, listen, I want to do my part to build the house of God. I want to be a builder. I don't want to be somebody who just comes and takes, but I want to make my contribution. I want to do what God wants me to do to build the house of God. And the question is, well, then why, why is that so important? One of the reasons that is so significant to build the house of God is because when the house of God is strong, we're strong. We, we need a place to come to gather around the word of God with the people of God, to be encouraged by God, to be blessed, to be challenged, to be transformed. And when the church is strong, guess what happens? We're strong. We receive that strength and that power and that vitality from being a part of a, a dynamic fellowship together. So what are we doing to build the house of God? Some people think that the church is a weakened distraction. Uh, but in reality, we oftentimes are distracted from the very place that we should be, and that's the house of God. And uh, we build people here at Edge Church. You know, I love Edge Church so much because we're always building people. We're building students. And if you don't have your kids involved in the student ministry, man, you need to reconsider that because kids are being built up in faith. We have our Sunday morning experience here. We have Wednesday nights where we're opening the Word of God. We're teaching teenagers to love and to follow Christ. And it is a wonderful thing. I was so blessed last week... Our, our preschoolers came out of their classes in the lobby and they had these little like hats on. They were conductor hats like they had had a train theme. And the, the, one of the little boys was telling his mom what he had learned. And he had learned and, and he said, Mom, I'm on board with Jesus. Is that awesome or what? I mean, you know, like is there anything more wonderful than hearing a preschooler say, I'm on board with Jesus. That's why, that's why the house of God matters. That's why the house of worship is, is so significant. And you know, if you think about it in our culture, the church is the only place that we can really openly talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It really is. So it has such a unique place in our own, in our own spiritual journey and in our own families. Um, you know, we also build other houses. Um, every time that you give here at Edge Church, guess what happens? Well, we give money to missions. We give money. We're providing Bibles for people in the Middle East. We're feeding hungry people in Africa. We're starting churches in Australia. There's so many things that, that are going on. And, and so when we build this house, then we can build other houses too. When this house is strong, we can do more to help build up other houses of worship. And we help people see the greatness of God through life transformation um, and through so many other things here at the church. Uh, when the church is strong, it helps us be strong. And when we're strong, then our families are strong. Now, uh, God is a builder. And if we will be about building God's house, then God will build our house. In Psalm 127.1, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the, build, the builders labor in vain. That's a whole chapter about parenting and raising children. 
And, and, and he says there that the Lord is the one who builds a house. And so if we'll be about building God's house, God will be about building our house. If you look at Haggai uh, chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, this is how the whole scripture, um, the, whole, the whole book wraps up. Look at this right here. <clears throat> but now, note this, from today... This 24th day of the month, as the foundation of the Lord's temple is finished, and from this day onward, I will bless you. Notice I am giving you this promise now before you have even begun to rebuild the temple structure, and before you have harvested your grain, and before the grapes and figs and the pomegranates and olives have produced their next crops, from this day I will bless you. So when the people got on board with what the prophet was saying about rebuilding the house of worship, then God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you guys. And it, it, you notice it just says they just laid the foundation. They, they had just started. They hadn't even really started the whole construction process. They just, in their hearts and in their minds, they had committed to build that house of worship. And as a result, God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. When we build God's house, God will be about building our house. And then in chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, so the people feared the Lord. And I love that word, the entire remnant. Remnant. In other words, everybody joined together. Uh, it's hard to get even small groups of people to be on the same page. But God had moved in such a wonderful way that the entire remnant, all the people that had come back from Persia to Jerusalem, began to work together. They, they listened to what the prophet said. They committed themselves to do what he had challenged them to do and the entire remnant worked together. Can you imagine what we could do for God if all of us were serving and working together and giving and praying and bringing? Can you just get in here? We would turn this city upside down. It would be amazing what we could do together. But it takes all of us. It takes the, the entire remnant. It takes the whole congregation. It takes all of us. But when all of us get in sync with, with, with building that foundation and, and establishing the house of God, great things begin to happen. And the people begin to be so, so blessed. They were so blessed. So the first question is, what am I doing to build the house of God? What am I doing? Here's the second question. Am I focused or distracted on building the house of God? Now, in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The Lord of armies says this. These people say, The time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And verse 3, The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while, the house, while this house lies in ruins. God says, you know what? You guys have been doing some really awesome interior decorating. You guys have been building this elaborate, these wonderful, I mean, paneled houses. Come on, man. In the ancient world, paneled houses. 
And people are like, well, we have all this time and energy and we got all this money because we're not building the house of God like he told us to, so we'll build our house. And they built bigger houses. And they put more finishes and more touches and all that. Now, God's not against nice houses as long as living in a nice house doesn't take the place of what he wants to do through his house. But God is saying to the prophet, listen, guys, you got so focused on yourself, you forgot about me. <laughs> Isn't that easy? Uh, the people weren't against rebuilding the temple. Uh, nobody was lobbying. Nobody had T-shirts and bumper stickers that said, don't build the temple. But it just wasn't a priority. Just kind of got pushed down, overlooked. One day we'll build the temple. Yeah, we should do that. How many of you know good intentions don't change anything? We have great intentions, don't we? We have great intentions. We had some friends. He demoed the master bathroom, and for three years, for three years, it went, it went unfixed. I just wondered, like, if anybody ever got up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about that. Can you imagine, like, having to brush your teeth in the kitchen every morning and having to go to the guest bathroom to, you know, to do anything else that you needed to do in the bathroom? It sounds kind of weird, but if you get used to doing that over and over and over again, you just, you kind of get complacent. And so the Israelites, they're building their houses and they forgot about God's houses, it, it, was, it was a lack of priority. Priorities. Priorities are so important. If we only intend to do it and we don't do it, then it's not a priority, right? Uh, intentions and priorities are different. How many of us have some things right now that we intend to do, but they haven't been getting done, right? They're on the list of good ideas, amen? The list, yeah, we should do that sometime, right? That's different from, I'm going to do it. And so the prophet is moving, moving them forward from, from just a casual thought of, wow, that sounds great, um, into, hey, we're going to do it. We're going to pull it off. We're going to go for it. Now, this was actually a direct command. God specifically told the people, build, build the temple. Build the temple. Rebuild the temple. Return its glory. Solomon's temple decimated, rebuild it. God has given us so many direct commands. You know, one of the commands God's given us, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, don't be unequally yoked together. That's why if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be dating people that are not Christians because they have a different standard. They have a different worldview. They have a different direction. Don't, don't, try, to put, don't try to get together with somebody who's going the opposite direction of you. That's a direct command. Hebrews 13 says, um, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together as some are in the habit of doing. That's why we have the church. That's why we have the family of God. That's why we get together all the time right here. So we cannot forsake the assembling of ourselves. We, we can encourage each other daily. We can bless each other. Man, when you're sick and you need somebody to pray for you, you need the church. When you're discouraged and when you need some counseling and you don't know what to do, you need the church. When you've got friends that are hurting and need to know the Lord, you need the church. So don't, don't forsake it, he says. That's a direct command. 
Leviticus tells us the tithe is holy and belongs to God. The reason that we bring that sacred tenth is because that's God's purpose. That's God's plan. And God has given us so many direct commands. But when we follow what God has said, then guess what? The blessings come. And the Israelites began to see this. God began to bless, bless them abundantly and powerfully and, and wonderfully. Many times we want the blessings of God, but we don't want to do what it takes to get the blessing. Are we distracted or are we focused? Do we have excuses? Uh, do we have excuses? It's easy to get out of the habit, isn't it? And to have excuses. Um, from time to time, I talk to people that have been members of our church and been very faithful and, and have been very involved, and they moved to another city, and they didn't get involved in another church. You know, one, two, three years goes by, and all of a sudden, some problems start to crop up, and you know, the family's not praying together, and people aren't worshiping together, and and nobody's talking about the Lord, and, and it just, it, it really begins, it's easy. It's easy to drift off course. I don't think people wake up and go, you know what, I think I'm going to take three years off of church. But if you're not careful, it's very easy to end up there. Some of you are visiting today, and you haven't been active in church two, three, four years, you know? God's saying to you, man, it's time. It's time to get involved. It's time to be a part of the family. It's time, it's time to go to the membership class. It's, it's time to make a commitment. It's time to not just, you know, stand around and have good intentions, but it's, it's time to get connected. It's time to get, quit, quit making excuses. Quit making those excuses. It's easy to get out of the habit of giving. It's easy to get out of the habit of serving. What are we doing to build the house of God. Sometimes we hide behind prayer. Christians are real spiritual. You know, like I'm going to pray about it. But, but prayer and action should not be confused. If God has already told us to do certain things, we don't have to pray about it anymore. Amen? Let me just save you some time. Quit praying about the things that God has already said to do. Just go ahead and start doing it. You don't have to delay. You don't have to hesitate. You don't have to wait. You don't have to meditate on it. Just if God's already said it, just go ahead and do it. And God wants you to be a house builder. He does. He wants you to be about building his house. So we don't even have to pray about that. That's, that's easy. We got to move out of complacency. I, I love Romans 12, 11. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. We should be fired up for Jesus. We should be motivated and inspired. We, we, we should be compelled by the Holy Spirit of God to do great things for the Lord. Don't lose that zeal. If you've lost it, you need to reach out to the Lord and say, God, what do I need to do to regain it? And you know what? Being around some like-minded people will do a ton to motivate you. It's really hard to live a motivated, inspired, spirit-filled Christian existence if you're all alone. But you get around some more people that are going the same direction, it'll begin to light your fire. It'll begin to throw a little butane on your tank. It'll be awesome. That's what the family of God's all about. So don't be lacking in zeal. Here's some great news. People can change 
We can move from complacent to focused. And if you look in chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel. Now, we need to be praying, Lord, rouse my spirit. Amen? He's the governor of Judah and the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the spirit of all the remnant of all the people, and they began to work on the house of the Lord of armies, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. They wrote down the day, man. This was a big day. Everybody made a change. Complacent people, the beginning of chapter 1, it's not time for us to build the house of God. We'll get to that later. We're too busy going to soccer games and parties and skiing and you know, enjoying the weather and hiking and we're doing all that. We'll, we'll build the house of God at another time. And then at the end of chapter one, what are people doing? They're like, hey, let's build this thing. Let's roll up our sleeves. Let's quit making excuses. Let's get this thing done. Now, look at this third question. Is my soul satisfied? In between, in verses nine through 11, God is holding out on the people. Check it out. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house, so on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, new wine, fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields on man and animal and all, uh, and all that your hand produces. So the people were working harder, but they were in a drought. Sometimes life is like that, isn't it? Do you ever find yourself, I'm going to hustle more. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to work later. I'm going to do more. But you find yourself just chasing your tail. God was sending a message to the people. He, he, was, he was causing that, that drought. He was causing that lack to, to help people to see that they needed to make some changes. Sometimes we think when bad things happen that it's, oh, that's just the devil. But you know, sometimes God allows some things to happen in our life to redirect us. God wants us to live with a sense of discontent when our heart and our mind is not on the things that he has for us. And so God said, I've been trying to get you guys' attention. You guys haven't been listening very well. But the reason that it hasn't been raining and the reason that you haven't been having a fruitful harvest is because your heart has not been in tune with me. But here's the good news. If you will turn, if you will change, if you will yield, you will be blessed. And that's the message of Haggai. People can change. Hearts can change. Churches can change. People can do great things for God. Just because we've been on one path doesn't mean that we can't do something that's different and our soul will be satisfied. You know, it's interesting, the word Haggai means feast. And when we follow the message of this prophet, we will eat and we will be filled. So what are we doing to build the house of God? Sometimes a setback is a set up for God to bring about great change in our life. And maybe, maybe you've been going through some times of frustration in your life because God wants you to see that your heart and your mind is not completely focused on the things that he has for you. That is God's mercy and his love for you. 
If God didn't love us, he wouldn't discipline us. So he's telling the people, hey guys, if everything was great for everybody in Jerusalem, people wouldn't be open to change. We make changes when things are hard. We make changes when things are difficult. God's sending us a message. What a great opportunity we have to say, God, is there anything in my heart that's not in line with your purposes? God, what do you want me to do? What can I be a part of to build your house? Lord, what do you want to say to me today? You know what? God begins to bless that. It really does. Miracles are always on the other side of obedience. If you look there in verse 12 of chapter 1, it says, So the people feared the Lord, and then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, delivered the Lord's message to the people. I am with you. This is the Lord's declaration. The Lord roused the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the spirit of the remnant of all the remnant of the people. And they began to work on the house of the Lord of the armies of their God. Everybody joined together. Now, when people begin to do what God had called them to do, then that's when the blessings came. Okay? Check it out. God may be waiting on you. Moses had to stretch out his hand over the Red Sea before it would split. He had to go and confront Pharaoh before the people were allowed to exodus. Noah had to build an ark before he could be saved from a flood. Abraham had to go to the land of promise, an unknown place, before he could be the father of a great nation. Esther had to boldly go into the king's presence before the Israelite people could be saved. The ten lepers had to make their way to the priests before they could be healed. Naaman had to dip in the river Jordan seven times before he would be cleansed of leprosy. The blind man had to go wash in the pool before Jesus gave him sight. The four men had to open the roof before they could lower their paralytic friend down for Jesus to heal. And Paul and Silas had to sing and to pray while they were in jail before an earthquake could come and before they could be delivered. God is oftentimes waiting on us. He's waiting on us. I love Luke chapter 5. Peter Simon Peter has been fishing all, all night and he hadn't caught one thing. Maybe you feel like you've done that. <laughs> I worked all night. I got nothing to show for it. And Jesus says, go back out. Go back out into the deep, Peter. Now, first of all, Jesus' background was a carpenter. What does a carpenter know about fishing? Peter's a professional. He's a fisherman. You catch fish early in the morning and late at night, not when the sun is out. And Jesus is telling me to go back out and to catch the fish. The scripture says when he lowered his nets, there were so many fish that got into the net that the boat began to sink. He had to call his buddies over, the other fishermen, to come and help him. Sometimes we're trying to do the things that only God can do. But if we will say, God, what are your priorities for my life? And help me align myself with your calling and direction. That's when the blessing will come. Too many people today are saying, God, here's my priorities and I want you to bless them. 
And God is saying, I'm looking for a remnant. I'm looking for a people who will say, I want to get my life in alignment with your purposes and your callings. And I will bless it. It's wonderful. Are we living a sidetracked life? God has given us a great opportunity to follow him. Let's be the people that continue to build the house of God. And when we see that happen, God will build our house. Let's pray together.